Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. My, 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 how the questions just keep pouring in. Hi, everybody. I'm Don McDonald, and welcome to the Talking Real Money podcast, the Friday edition. Well, we recorded on Friday. I don't know when you listen to it, but I record this on Friday, and then I uh, answer a whole bunch of your questions or your comments, or addressed, or something. That's what we do on Fridays, generally. Now, the next couple of Fridays, no. We won't be doing that. There'll be some best of stuff, because next Friday is Christmas Eve. The Friday after that is a week I'm taking off, New Year's Eve. I'm taking that whole week off, putting some uh, archive shows up. So there'll be podcasts for you pretty much every day. Just not many new ones. But I will strive to answer several today get through a whole bunch of them and then uh tom and i will be doing a live show on saturday the 18th of december from three to five eastern noon to two pacific so we'll try to answer some then and you can call us with your questions too at 855-935-TALK 855-935-8255 when we're live on the show on saturdays or anytime and we'll answer them in the podcast the other way we take questions is through talkingrealmoney.com our website and you can either type questions there or you can speak questions there which we really like and which Cass does regularly. Hey guys, this is Cass from Mississippi. I am a daily listener to your podcast and I've been going back listening to a bunch of the older podcasts and I think I have about 400 to go. So I'm swimming in podcasts and um, I was listening to one today and I've got a question. I have VT 80%. And then BND, 20%. So I've heard you guys talk about, you know, obviously, and and Paul Merriman, you know, small cap. And I've heard, you know, I've heard you talk about small cap value. And then I've heard you say small cap. So I'm I'm a little confused. Like if I were to add, I mean, I've got VT, I've got the world already. So, um, you know, if I were to add some small cap, like what percentage would I add to my 80% VT portfolio? I'm trying to figure out what percentage of of that I should take away from VT and put into small cap. And which small cap? There's three that Vanguard has, VB, VBK, and VBR. So the VB, they list it as just small cap. So uh, I don't really know the differences between some of these, and I couldn't tell like if one was doing better than the other, really. So I just thought I'd ask to see if um, uh, if you guys could give me some advice on that. Uh, thanks for all you do. Love the podcast. 
Hello again, Cass in Mississippi. Good to hear from you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I just think we're uh, doing a great job keeping you busy if you got 400 more to listen to. So you just keep going. I'll keep adding new ones. So you're going to have to double up some days. But thanks again for calling in. You're aggressive with you're aggressive enough with vt and bnd for most people but there is something to be said for having small company stocks in the portfolio because they're riskier i mean it's a risk reward trade-off and the reality is that riskier securities have over time returned more and they've also at times lost more but given the fact that the market goes up more than it goes down it's only logical that when things are going well they should make more so overall you should make more now the evidence shows us that value stocks beat growth stocks so we probably if you're going to put small cap in i would lean towards small cap value adding some of that to it don't make it more complicated than it need be but if you want to get some more diversification take about 10 a total of 10 or 20 percent of the portfolio out of that equity side and put that into vbr which is the vanguard small cap value index and understand that that is going to increase the overall volatility of your portfolio so if that concerns you then you might want to go to well say 50 percent in vt 20 percent into vbr and then 30 percent into bnd to reduce the overall volatility to make it more comfortable but expose you to those stocks in the small cap area not a necessary adjust, adjustment if you're comfortable with volatility. And that's really the only risk we face as investors, as real investors, those who build diversified portfolios. Think about it. In this portfolio, Cass has 11,000, 12,000 stocks, tens of thousands of bonds, how can she lose everything? How can she, what, in what scenario could she possibly see her money go down a hundred percent or even down 50% or 60% and stay down for the rest of her life? What would it take for that to happen realistically? And then think about what the result would be. And the result would be probably something like the new TV show on HBO Max that I'm trying to convince my wife to watch because it's based on a book I really liked. And, and I, I, I'm not plugging this to plug it, but I hope it's the show got great reviews. I want to watch it. It's uh, it's about and it's funny. I read it. I think I read it right before COVID. And it's about a global pandemic that kills off a big chunk of the population. But it was a really good book. And it looks like it's a good series. It's called station 11 it's on hbo max um and this is not a i don't get anything for that uh but that's what it would take it would take some scenario like that in which every security on the planet is made worthless and the only thing that's of value is a shelter or food or ammunition or guns so volatility that's your risk 855-935-TALK, that's our phone number, and we do take your calls that you leave with us through that system, and we are going to now go to one of those calls. Oh, by the way, Cass, thanks for calling in. Hi, I had a question about 
interest rates, and then a follow-up question as well. I wondered if you think that interest rates will ever get back into what a lot of us recall as normal, which was you could deposit money in the bank with FDIC insurance, and the money was available the next day. This was a simple passbook savings account, and you got about 4 or 5% interest on that arrangement. Obviously, that situation does not occur today. Um, but I wonder if you think we're ever going to get back to that. And then if we are eventually going to get back to that, how is this going to work with the federal budget? Uh, presently, I believe that interest rates are their second largest expense, right behind Department of Defense. And if you were to multiply the uh, interest rate by anything near what it would take to get back to a 5% return on passbook savings, um, the federal government would be paying um, their number one expense would be interest. I'm not sure that's workable. And I wonder if there's really an alternative to the federal government defaulting on their debts at some point or inflating currencies such that the money they owe you is basically worthless. So I'll look for your answer. And I appreciate your show. I listen every day. All right, I couldn't help but thinking while I'm listening to the to your call is that are you are you riding a carriage down the road slowly? <laughs> it's like horses clomping. Uh, okay, I'm going to take your question seriously now. Starting with my opinion is meaningless. My opinion about the future of interest rates is about as valuable as yours or anybody else's, which means it's of little or no value. Predicting the future is something that is impossible to do. We had higher interest rates in the past due to, um, well, all manner of economic issues, not the least of which was uh, decades or at least many, 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 many years of really high inflation. Those rates that we received back then were not real rates. Now, today, we haven't seen consumer interest rates keep up with the recent spike in inflation, but who knows if this is something that will continue or will not continue. Uh, but the reality is we have to deal with the rate situation as it is now. And all of this wringing our hands and trying to predict the future is distracting. You can't know how the government, you can't, you can't make these suppositions. You can't do it because you don't have the, you don't have the brain power. I don't have the brain power in aggregate. None of us have the brain power to calculate all of the variables that can lead to the scenarios you'd like to imagine. And I'm not going to turn this into a political conversation ever, ever. I am not going to do that because politics comes and politics go, and, and it's always changing. But the fact of the matter is the global economy has survived all manner of crises. Might the U.S. economy collapse? Yeah, maybe. I don't think so. I hope not, but it could. That's why we suggest diversifying globally. But the fact of the matter is if the global, I just said it in the last segment, if the global economy collapses, even your gold isn't going to be worth anything. And certainly your Bitcoin is not. So do I know what's going to happen in the future? No, 
Now, do I know that a whole lot of U.S. debt is long-term debt that was floated at low single-digit rates? So all of that 10 and 20 and 30-year debt, if interest rates spike up all of a sudden, they're not going to pay more on that old money. They're just going to pay the same. It'll only be new money. So it's a very complex environment. I think that's the best word for it. You know, it's not just the economy. It's this entire human environment. And the math is too complicated. It is. Ask any PhD economist, and they will tell you, you cannot mathematically predict the future. You can't possibly account for all the variables which means that all of us sitting around trying to figure out what the future holds are in an even less viable position to do that. You can believe what you want to believe, but don't act on your beliefs. Act on the reality of the situation because you can't do anything about the long-term future and you definitely can't predict it thanks for listening thanks for calling and we've got another question that was sent in at talkingrealmoney.com using your voice just speaking it through the website which makes it generally sound a little better hello tom and don this is bob from minnesota i just retired and i'm 65 i've had an allianz non-qualified annuity for about 20 years it's done quite well. It's gone from about 100000 up to 500000 But because of the high fees, I think it's at least 3%, I want to cash out and transfer it to Vanguard Index Funds. Will I be assessed ordinary tax on the gains? Since I'm recently retired, my tax bracket should be lower, so it might be a good time to do it. I had thought about annuitizing it, but with rising inflation rates and the fact that the payments are not inflation adjusted, that's probably not a good situation either. Thanks for your input. Well, as you are probably aware, we are not big fans of variable annuities. And we're not big fans of variable annuities for that fee you stated. That's the reason. If they take 3% away from your money every year, despite the fact that you did well, and you quintupled your money. The reality is, had you had the same exact investment portfolio outside of that annuity, you would have made a whole lot more. A whole lot more. And the annuity didn't provide you with any advantage, as you are now seeing. Because remember, when you take money out of an annuity, it is taxed as ordinary income which for most people is a much higher rate than the capital gains rate. So yes, when you move money from your Allianz annuity into Vanguard funds, you are going to pay taxes at your income rate. Thank goodness it's lower. Now, you might want to sit down with an accountant or with a calculator and some paper and a website and determine what your tax situation will be over the next few years or try to determine guess and maybe do it more slowly 
Don't do it all in one year. Don't kick yourself into a higher bracket. Take yourself right up to the bracket line so that you don't pay more on the next bunch of money. Uh, But otherwise, I think it's a good idea to move. You go from three plus percent per year. If you go to a diversified portfolio, Vanguard index funds, get this. You're going to go from three percent per year to less than two tenths of a percent per year, depending on the portfolio you built. Build it based on your tolerance and need for risk. Remember that. Diversify globally. Make sure you have bonds and stocks, no matter what you think the economy is going to do. And um, yes, you will pay taxes. That's the price. The other, But the good news is when you get it moved over to Vanguard, if you have some money in stock funds, which you probably should, and if you use e- the stock ETFs, your taxes, your capital gains in those funds will be deferred until you sell. And then when you sell, it'll be at whatever the capital gains rate is, which has tended to be lower than the income rate. Thanks so much for your question. We really appreciate it. Let's grab yet, I think this one right here. Don and Tom, love the podcast, need the podcast. This is beginning investor Mark. I have a Fidelity 4 fund portfolio with total U.S. index, total international index, and smaller percentages of emerging markets and small cap value. I want to add a REIT index as my fifth and final fund, and you know so many Vanguard funds, but is F-R-E-L the right Fidelity REIT for me? Also, I only check my portfolio about once each month, and this asset allocation is recently lost between 3% and 5% in each class. Am I reading this right? I'm in it for the long haul with a 76 on your risk quiz, but I have not heard you talk about this market correction over the last month of podcasts. Am I following the market correctly or is everyone else still making money and I've screwed something up? Well, Mark, thanks for letting us help. Thanks for listening. And uh, let's start with one thing. I just want to—I noticed this in the middle there. You said you're in the uh, the total U.S., the total international, both of which are indexes. And then you said emerging markets, and I believe at Fidelity, the only emerging markets is an actively managed emerging markets, which is just under 1% per year in fees, R- really too high. Too, 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 too high. Um, and I hope that you have the small cap, is small cap value index. Let me just double check. Yeah. They have a small cap value fund, which is 1% per year, or they have a small cap value index fund, which get this is 0.05% per year. You see the difference between active management and indexes. It, it's like 90 basis points over 90 basis points. So I'm hoping you're in at least the small cap value index. And the emerging markets is pretty expensive, but what the heck. So the FREL is Fidelity's MSCI real estate index. It's an index of real estate. Really well diversified. Massively diversified. With really low fees, like um, 0. 0. 0.08% four percent cheap that's less than one-tenth the price of your your emerging markets fund so it's really cheap really well diversified properly diversified it would be a great addition to the portfolio again 
you should always allocate smaller amounts to your small cap, to your emergings and your real estate. Um, you know, they shouldn't be huge portions of the portfolio because of the volatility, which for some people can be a problem. And that's the last part of your question we're going to get to here. Markets fluctuate. They always have. They always will. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. So maybe you shouldn't even look every month. You haven't done anything wrong. We had a month. A bad month. Now, is it a correction? Technically not yet. Will it get worse? Your guess is literally as good as mine. I'm not going to lie and say I know things I can't know, and you shouldn't either. You don't know if this is a trend that will continue or will turn immediately around. Actually, it's kind of turned around lately, but that doesn't mean anything. Could completely tank next week or the week after. I don't know. You don't know. That's why you diversify. That's why you have all of these different asset classes. And if you worry about the volatility, then you add bonds in to reduce the overall portfolio volatility, but make it a point not to look at what the individual components are doing because the international part of your portfolio has done a little worse than the U S but in the future, it could be the U S that does a little worse than the international. You're just going to make yourself crazy. If you look at them, even monthly, apparently don't look, we don't talk about changes in market value week to week because we know it doesn't matter there's nothing you can do about it after the fact and you don't know what it'll do tomorrow again you can send your questions in at talkingrealmoney.com or call us anytime at 855-935-TALK 855-935-8255 you can also call us on uh, saturday we'll be live on the 18th of december then we'll be off for a weekend and then back on the 1st of January. Taking your calls live, 855-935-TALK. Also, you can send questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. And also, as the holiday season is coming up, in addition to doing this podcast, I also do another podcast that I do for fun. It's called Lit Reading, L-I-T-R-E-A-D-I-N-G. So if you want something a little more Christmassy, a little more holiday-like this time of year, um, I record all kinds of short stories throughout the year. I've got about 100 of them on Lit Reading, which is on all the major podcast services. But I've done a ton of holiday stories. And I've put all the Christmas stories together in one collection at Talking Real, I think there's still two missing that'll be up soon. At TalkingRealMoney.com slash Christmas. TalkingRealMoney.com slash Christmas. 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 Or you can just listen to them on some of the podcast services. All right, let's do, oh, let's see. Time, we're good. Let's do one more question. Hi, Tom and Don. My name is Barry. I've only started to listen to your podcast recently, and I've really enjoyed it. I'm wondering if you could provide some clarity into the difference between REITs and crowdfunding real estate. Is one really better than the other? I've seen a lot of discussion about each one has their own benefits. And I'm not sure if crowdfunding real estate sites are just a bunch of marketing hoopla with not much to back them. And in the long run, they're not really any better. Is there something that I'm missing? 
I see that crowdfunding real estate has a higher cost to get into them. And I can't tell if there's really any kind of tax benefits to being them long-term compared to REITs. What I've seen is that REITs can have more volatility. Maybe the crowdfunding is not as volatile, but definitely not as liquid. This is money that I might put in to help diversify my portfolio. And I don't need the money right now, but I am looking for something that may be able to provide greater income stream in the future. I'm only 42. And my wife is 42. So our horizon is sometime off in the distance for any kind of retirement planning. Hopefully you can shed some light onto this complex topic. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Oh, no, 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 no. Skip, 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 skip the crowdfunding stuff. You want the Wild West? That's it. Crowdfunding real estate. Oh, no, 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 no. Get a REIT with a real estate investment trust like the fund I just talked about, the Fidelity uh, Real Estate ETF or the Vanguard Real Estate Fund or you know any other no-load. Dimensional Funds has one. Uh, does Dim- I wonder if Dimensional has an ETF in real estate now. I don't know. Real estate security. No, they do not have a... Uh, an ETF yet, but you could go to Vanguard or Fidelity and get a great, well-diversified, really ridiculously inexpensive real estate fund and not have the kind of risk. Most crowdfunding real estate is a single project. You're a little tiny, just a little tiny smidge of money in a in an individual project and some of them are pie in the sky projects some of them will get built and will do well others will get will won't get built others will uh, they'll buy a property they'll pay too much for it and a few years down the road if the real estate market collapses you're in trouble i mean i've seen some deals back in 2008 oh my gosh some individual uh, condo conversion deals i i know one personally that a lot of friends of mine got involved in and didn't do well in. And then there was another that a, a company I'm aware of bought a building, bought a, 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 an apartment building. Get this, at $385 a square foot per apartment. This was in 2007. And they were hoping to sell these as condos at $500 a square foot in Florida. I mean, they're not getting $500 a square foot in Florida for a condo today. No, the bank ended up owning that property and all the money was lost. So, no, 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 no. Steer clear of this crowdfunding stuff. Oh, so, I mean, almost no regulation. Nobody's looking out for you. You've got no protection. You've got no diversification. You don't even know what kind of costs you're going to incur because they're so complex and there are so many people with their little hands in the pie leaving you probably at the end with not much of anything except in very, very, very lucky cases. Oh, they always tell you about the good ones. They rarely, if ever, tell you about the bad ones. So, no, I would steer way clear of that. Way clear. And coming up in February, February 26th, we are going to try and do another live retire meet in Bellevue, Washington, but we're going to combine it with the interactive 
virtual one that we did last year. So we'll do a live event, but we're going to present it to everybody in the world. All you have to do to attend, because we do have a limited number of virtual seats, uh, you can sign up and pay to come to the Bellevue event. It's not much. You get sandwiches too. Or you can sign up for the virtual event free at retiremeet.com. Spell it any way you want, practically. Retiremeet.com. And um, we hope to see you in February at Retiremeet. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. Join us for a live show on Saturdays. If you have questions, call us at 855-935-TALK, Saturday, 3 to 5 Eastern Time, noon to 2 Pacific. I'm Don McDonald. Talking Real Money. Talking Real Money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. As you keep the lawyers happy.